0: Well, I'm thankful to be with you this morning. Let's open the word. You're already there. First Peter chapter 2 and I want us to think together about the aim of spiritual growth. Um, I I told Pastor Clint this has been kind of a nostalgic weekend for me. Uh, Yesterday my wife and I went to my 50th high school class reunion. (laughs) I know I remember when my mom went to hers, and I thought, she is so old. <laughs> well, I'm there now. But two of the folks that were there were with me when I came to faith in Christ. And I thought about that. And I thought, how merciful of the Lord to save me as a 15-year-old. And then in my devotion time this morning, I was reading in Psalm 37, and when I was a college student in Mobile, We had, a group of us traveled up to Birmingham, and we heard this older British pastor. He probably wasn't that old now as I reflect back on it, but he was older at the time. And he preached on Psalm 37 to our college group. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. And that riveted me, and it affected the whole direction of my life. I want you to see these verses this morning. And maybe by the grace of God, he will work these truths into our minds and hearts so that we understand the real aim of spiritual growth, coming to Christ. All right. Our our text, verses 4 and 5. But let me, let me back up in, in verse 1. I, I want you to see how Peter begins, because this is going to be... Uh, very helpful for us to understand what is being said in this passage. Therefore, I'm, I'm reading from the New American Standard. Therefore, putting aside all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies desire, long for, the pure milk of the word, so that by it, by the word... You may grow in respect to salvation. And then here's the caveat he gives, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. That's another way of of him saying, if you're born again, if Christ dwells in you, if you have been affected and impacted by the gospel of the crucified, resurrected Christ and you have trusted in Him and you have turned from your sin and He is now your Lord and Savior, if that is true. He says, and coming to him as to a living stone, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's think about God's Word. What Karen and I have been living in the same house for 19 years. And for 19 years, I've been walking out our uh, uh, g- garage, and we've got a little garden area, a few herbs, few tomatoes, a few things like that, and a dogwood tree. And for 19 years, I've walked out, and I've seen that lovely dogwood tree, the leaves on it, and then in the, the spring, the blooms on it, and I loved it, like it. Something happened this year. I walked out, instead of seeing those Leaves in those lovely blooms. I saw these dry dead branches. I thought no, my dogwood can't be dead I'm gonna have to cut it down. I thought I don't want to. you know, I might I might cut a pine tree down But I don't want to cut a dogwood down and so you know, I kept watching and watching and finally I realized that the evidence was far too clear There were no leaves. There were no blooms There was no life. It was dead Something like that is very similar when it comes to our, our spiritual life. Because if Christ is in us, there will be some evidences of his life. I mean, how do you ha- hide the life of the resurrected Lord Jesus dwelling in you by the Holy Spirit? How do you hide that life? Now, you may say, well, you know, someone can fake growth. Yeah, you can go out and tape leaves and blooms to a dead dogwood tree but it's not going to take long to tell those things are fake they're they're not going to last Uh, and we can try to fake it And, and maybe some of you I mean I I thought about some of my other friends that were at this reunion maybe some of you have faked being a Christian and you've been taping those dead leaves and dead blooms on your life And you think nobody notices. God does. And he sees it. That's the reality. And maybe some of your friends do, and they're grieved, and they're praying for you. It's time to see that only the life of Christ really produces real spiritual life. Now, you you, you may say, okay, this kind of bugs me a little bit. I don't think I'm on a very good trajectory in my spiritual growth. I, I understand that. I think that kind of thing happens a lot of times. We grow in season, so, sort of like a a big tree getting, if you think about a big oak tree, that oak tree doesn't grow every day like this. It grows during a short season, and then it gets stronger. And our spiritual growth is like that. We'll We'll make some progress in the Lord, and then we start getting solidified. But I think sometimes we see people that are really mature in Christ and we look at our lives and we kind of get embarrassed, we get upset, we're, maybe we're mad with God, maybe we're mad at ourselves, and uh, m- maybe we're discouraged about that. It's a journey, and that's part of what we're seeing. It is a journey. I, I remember as a uh, college student that I, I was really wrestling because I saw people that were mature in Christ and And I they were most of them were far, far older than me. they were old enough to be my parents and and I saw how mature they were, and I looked at my life and I was kind of woe it's me, uh you know really feeling rough about that and I, I picked up a book and there was a a little illustration in it that that helped me uh, There was a student that came to his seminary president and The student was kind of weird because it was taking him several years to go through seminary. And he he asked the president, is there not a quicker way to get done with this? I mean, I want to be through so I can go on. He said, well, it depends on what you want to be. If God wants to grow a, a squash, he takes two or three months. If he wants to grow an oak tree, it takes 100 years. Do you want to be a squash or do you want to be an oak tree? And sometimes we settle for that flash into the pan, spiritual growth, that, that squash type of growth, here for a little bit and then fizzling out. It's sort of like some of those celebrity chefs that do a flambé, you know, where, where they, they pour some, some kind of fluid, some kind of alcohol thing on, in a pan and all of a sudden it just, you know, just flashes up. But what happens? It doesn't stay like that. It dies. That's one of the struggles that we go through in different events. Maybe we go on a retreat. Uh, Maybe we're in a special worship service. Maybe we're reading some really helpful Christian book. And boy, we're we're moving and we're like that flambé. We we just kind of flame up. But what we have to learn how to do is to get out of this flashy, quick growth mentality. Instead, think oak tree. Think steady, regular no flash, solid, immovable, magnifying the Creator and Redeemer. And that's true with our spiritual life because where evidence of life keeps showing up in our conversations, in our decisions, in our relationships, in our attitudes, in our hunger for the Word, in our spiritual disciplines, in our gathering with the body, in our prayer, in our hope, in our joy when those evidences begin to show through brothers and sisters were growing now peter knew something about the struggle of growth uh, he was a very self-assured person uh, he often was so self-assured that he put his foot in his spiritual mouth and we see that in reading through the gospels very very evident but you remember the time that he that jesus was talking about his impending death and and he said all of you going to leave and peter said the rest of them might leave, but not me. I'm going to stay with you, and I will not deny you, even if it means my death. And then, not long after that, what happened? He denied Jesus, didn't he? And Jesus saw it, it just crushed Peter. You'd think he learned his lesson, didn't he? Not going to happen again. Well, if you're reading Galatians 2, there's this very interesting passage where Paul said, he had to rebuke Peter, because Peter went to Antioch, everything was going great with this group of Gentile Christians, and then these uh, just, I mean, they were knuckleheads came in. I, I don't know how else to describe them. They're, they're called Judaizers. But they, they were trying to say, if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to adhere to circumcision and to the Jewish rituals and, and all, all those sorts of things, all the ceremony. And Peter fell right into him. And you can't hang around Gentiles. Well, Paul had to rebuke him in front of everyone else. He slipped into legalism and a man-fearing spirit. I mean, just when he thought he had his spiritual growth in in hand, he struggled. And rightly so. Because think about what the apostle Paul said in Philippians 3. That we, we haven't arrived. He said, I don't look at myself as though I've arrived. I haven't made it. But rather, he said, we keep pressing on for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We want to be in his likeness. But how do we get there? What kind of growth does it take to get there? Well, what Peter does in verses 1 through 3, and I, I want to compress a few thoughts here in, in what I, I would term to be a, a very Simple approach to Christian growth is, is found in three phrases, and you'll, you'll see it here in this text. First, in verse 1, and the, this is just getting you ready for what we're going to consider. So this is background, because, and, and it's critical for us. How do you grow spiritually? One, you live in the therefores. Look at, at verse 1. And some of the translations have so, it's actually therefore. He begins this, this statement, therefore, then putting aside all uh, malice and deceit and so forth, and like newborn babes, uh, grow, uh, d- desire the sensual milk of the word. Why does Peter begin with therefore? Well, wh- why does he do that? Because he's taken us back to what he's already declared. What has he declared? Well, if you look in verses 17 through 25, he first talks about redemption, and then he talks about regeneration. Now, redemption refers to the work of Jesus in his death, delivering us from sin, delivering us from bondage, dying in our place so that, as we sang a moment ago, we might be made righteous in Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, Peter is saying, see what Christ has done. And then he talks about the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. He tells him in verse 22, fervently love one another from the heart for, in other words, there's a reason you can do this, for you have been born again, not a seed which is perishable but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God and then he ends by saying and this is the word that was preached to you what word is he talking about he's talking about the gospel he's saying you've been born again by the work of the Holy Spirit bringing this good news of Christ the crucified resurrected ascended reigning saving merciful Lord you've heard that and the Holy Spirit has brought that home and you believe the gospel so The first thing you do in Christian growth, you don't focus on yourself. You live in the therefores. Live in the therefores of the scripture. Every time you see that therefore, see what it's there for. Keep going back. Keep looking. That is the foundation. How do you grow as a Christian? How do you grow spiritually? You've got to live in the therefore of the redemptive work of Jesus, the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Second thing Put aside the deeds of the flesh. I mean, in a very tight way, compared to what Paul does in Romans 6 and 7, and what he does in uh, in Ephesians 4, and what he does in uh, Colossians 2 and 3, in a very tight way, Peter says, therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Now, why does he pick those sins? They're just sort of categories of sins. It's a garden variety, maybe we could say. It's not all, he's not identifying all sins. He would run out of space, wouldn't he? And so he's not saying, just deal with these sins and others are okay. No, no, no. But he's saying, because of the therefores, because of the redemptive work of Christ, regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, then how do you grow? You keep dying to sin. You're serious. You're serious about dealing with your sin. I mean, look what he he says later in verse 24 of chapter 2. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin. And live to righteousness, for by His wounds you were healed. Now, what, what? Why does Christ save us? So we can go to heaven? Well, yeah, that's good. What about in the meantime? He wants us to live like Him. He wants us to look like Him. So when you go back to work tomorrow, or you go to the back to your college campus. You're mirroring Jesus Christ but how are you gonna do that unless you deal with sin you're learning to die to sin you're learning by faith because of the work of Christ you're learning to apply the gospel to see that Jesus didn't come just to forgive sin but he came to remove sin and then as you die to sin you replace that with the virtues of Jesus Christ uh, for instance in in Ephesians 4, let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him labor, let him work with his hands so that he will have something to give to those who have need. Instead of stealing, he says, work hard so you can be generous. That's the biblical pattern. Die to sin and then replace that with a virtue of Christ. And then the third thing, we live in the therefores, we put aside the deeds of the flesh. Third, we crave or long for the Word of God. Make it your aim to live in the Word. Make it your aim to understand the Word. The, he, he uses the pure milk of the Word, n- not in a negative way as Paul did when he chided the Corinthians. You know, you, you've you been drinking milk all this time, you really need to be on meat. Peter's not using it like this. Instead, he's giving us this picture. I mean... A baby can be really annoying because that baby wants milk. We need to be just that annoying for the gospel. We need to have that kind of longing and that kind of hungering. So learn to understand the word the way Jesus and the apostles did, that that word focused on him and his eternal promises. Yet, even with this. Good pattern of growth, of living in the therefores, putting aside the deeds of the flesh, longing for the milk of the word, we got to know where we're heading. We've got to, to, to be heading in the right direction. So where does that kind of healthy growth take us? It leads us to Jesus as our life in joy. What does that look like? What does it mean for us to come to him? That's what I want us to think about under two headings. First, spiritual growth keeps bringing us to Jesus. Spiritual growth keeps bringing us to Jesus. It doesn't keep making us look good so people pat us on the back. No, it keeps bringing us to Jesus. And the language could not be clearer. You'll notice there's a conjunction in, in the New American Standard Translation, the word and. He says, you, you've, you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. You're one of those who's living in the therefores. You're putting aside the deeds of the flesh. You are longing for the milk of the word. You've tasted the kindness of the Lord and coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. Literally, it's and keep coming to him. Continually come to him the intention in, in our spiritual disciplines of word and prayer and dying to sin and worship and fellowship and witness and gathering with the body, all of that is to keep bringing us to Jesus. One Australian writer said it expresses the idea of drawing near with the intention to stay and enjoy personal fellowship. And what this does, it moves us away from the mechanical approach to the Christian life. And I, oh boy. I mean, mechanical, I think I had a PhD in that in my early spiritual life, where you had your list, I got to do this, this, and this today, I got to read the Word, pray a little bit, fellowship a little bit, witness to somebody, check the box, okay, I'm okay. Well, let me ask you this, have you come to Christ? Have you met Him? Has that process that you've been walking through, and those processes are good, do all those things, but you need that aim. And the aim is in coming to him as to a living stone. You see, we come to him rather than just checking boxes to say, look what I've done. Our spiritual growth is not to satisfy ourselves. It's to bring us to Christ, to live in his glory and so, Peter's blowing up this mechanical idea. No, notice three things. First, we keep coming to Jesus because we are needy. The more we grow in our spiritual life, the more we feel our neediness. And so, if you, if you think, man, something is really wrong with me. I just feel so desperate and needy. Good. That's a good sign that you're growing in the Lord. Because the more you grow the more you see him in his divine perfections, the more you see yourself as a sinner and deserving judgment, but God shown mercy to you. The more you grow, the more you feel your weakness, that apart from Christ, you have no strength. You need his enabling. You can't walk in obedience without him. You can't serve him in faithfulness. You can't worship him in spiritual truth. That's why you keep coming to him. Only in Christ will our soul needs be met. And only in relationship to him do we find life and joy and hope to journey through the challenges of life. But there's this problem. We we sometimes will so stuff our schedule to keep from pausing. And maybe we're doing good things. I mean, I'll say as a pastor. Maybe I'm doing sermon preparation. It's a good thing. Maybe I'm praying through my church directory. It's a good thing. Maybe I'm checking on some of the saints. Maybe I'm visiting some folks in the hospital. Maybe I'm counseling someone. Those are all good things. But our schedule can become so packed that we don't be still and know that he is God and let him affect us. That's why in this whole process of our our spiritual growth and coming to Him and desiring Him, we come to Jesus Christ and we keep seeing our need for Him every day. Now, I, I've been helped in my own walk with the Lord uh, by reading the Psalms regularly, and I in my daily uh, Bible reading I go through the uh, the uh, Old Testament, New Testament, but the the wisdom literature and so I'm, I'm regularly reading the psalms and proverbs and ecclesiastes and 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 the song of solomon and in this especially the psalms help us psalm 139 23 and 24. search me O god and know my heart try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any hurtful way in me any sin any wrong direction and lead me in the everlasting way. He felt his neediness. It, we can become so busy in our activities, even spiritual things, that we lose sight of that. And we fail to know the, the Lord. And so here's why we keep reading these Psalms. For instance, Psalm 69, verses 1 to 3. Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. I have sunk in deep mire, and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and a flood overflows me. I'm weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. You feel the desperation? Or another one in Psalm 38. O oh Lord, rebuke me not in your wrath, and chasten me not in your burning anger. For your arrows have sunk deep in, into me, and your hand has pressed down on me. There's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. Unless we feel something of our need for the Lord, we're not going to be very motivated to seek him and to come to him. So neediness is welcome because neediness means we go to Jesus and he alone can satisfy us. Second, we keep coming to Jesus Not only out of our neediness, but we keep coming to Jesus because he is sufficient. And coming to him as to a living stone. Kind of interesting. Think about it now in the Old Testament. So often the Lord is called a rock. So this is not a foreign idea here. And coming to him as to a living stone. Now, uh, down in verses 6 through 8, Peter amplifies this this illustration uh, from the Old Testament, behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. But there are some that disbelieve. And he said, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of a fence. What, what he's doing, he's taking an image of building the ancient temple. He's using that and saying there's something bigger and better and greater than the temple. And so he says, and coming to him to a living stone who's been rejected by men, but it's choice and precious in the sight of God. Now, Israel valued the temple as much as anything, and and rightly so, because there God revealed himself. There was his presence. There was the mercy seat where the blood was, was sprinkled, and their sins were atoned for, and God's wrath was satisfied. But you remember what Jesus said to folks who were admiring the temple and said, man, this thing is great. And Jesus said, I say to you something greater than the temple is here. When Jesus said that, he blew their religion out of the water to see it's not those physical stones that's most important. No, it's that living stone, the Lord Jesus Christ. And later on, Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And John said, in John 2, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. And later on in the book of Revelation, it, you, you find the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And John said, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. You, you see why Peter uses this kind of terminology of a living stone? He's pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ who came in the flesh to dwell among men and now having fully satisfied all the sacrifices that were done in that temple, having fully satisfied that at the cross, because all they they were doing is pointing to the cross, and having satisfied divine justice, and having propitiated God, satisfied God with reference to our sins at the mercy seat. We come to him as to a living stone. And he's a living stone. This sin-bearing Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. And death has no more claim on him. Nor does death have power over those who are living stones. That That's, that's where Peter is heading. He's saying, you see what the Father has done in raising Jesus from the dead? That's what he's done through Christ for all who are in Christ. That's why we keep coming to him in in whom we have our life. Uh, the uh, writer of Hebrews said, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same so that through death he might render powerless him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. You see, what has Jesus done with death? I I love a quote that a friend of mine sent me this week written from a guy that founded Reformed Seminary, Sam Patterson. He said, Christ has made death his handyman. Christ has made death his handyman and has reduced death to a servant who can only open the door to heaven for Christ's people. We come to a living stone who's conquered death, so that we say with Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? Christ has taken it. And so let me ask you something. Do you get saved and you suddenly never have fear of death again? Unless you're a really strange bird, that's not the case. (laughs) You, You still struggle. There are difficulties. That's why you keep coming to Jesus. You keep coming to him, and as you come to him, you begin to realize, oh, he took the sting of death. He has the victory over death. I do not need to live in fear, but if you don't keep coming to him, then death's going to keep hanging, keep pressing. We come to him. We find him to be sufficient because he is our sin bearer. He is our mediator. And as he gives us the means of grace to live in the therefores, to put to death sin, to long and hunger for the word, we come to him and we find him sufficient, not just for death, but everything in between. All those things that are just weighing you down and bugging you and burdening you and, and depressing you, he is sufficient. Third, we keep coming to Jesus because he is worthy. As we utilize the means of grace for spiritual growth, it's living in the therefores, it's putting, putting to death our sin, feeding on the word. We keep coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You remember during the triumphal entry, Jesus came into Jerusalem and, and at First, the the crowds were all excited and then later, a few days later, they were jeering and they were mocking him and the religious leaders were mocking him. They called him a blasphemer and they condemned him as unworthy to continue living. They rejected him because he didn't fit the kind of savior that they wanted him to be. Have you fallen into that trap? I've got my design for what God ought to be. You need to get over that in a hurry because you're not going to control him. We're but dust. Or they, they look for a political savior. Jesus wasn't interested in all that. He came to be the sin bearer. He came to be the redeemer of people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. They were looking for a king that would fight the Romans. But Jesus came for a bigger reason. He was going to destroy the works of the devil and establish an eternal kingdom. They looked for a spokesman who would rubber stamp their religious ideas. But Jesus came as the light of life and the word made flesh so that through him we might come to God. But they still rejected him. And it's interesting this word means they examined him and then rejected him. They took a good look at him and said, nope, it's not what we want. Maybe some of you are like that today. You've been hearing the gospel preached from this pulpit over and over, and you go, "Nope, that's not what I want." There's only one way to God, and it's not our way. It's only the way of Christ, and so they were rejecting Him. And we don't we see the same thing in our day. I mean, it is happening in media. It happens with you know some of the big shots. It happens in, in with politicians and. You know, all kinds of famous people, they're, they're rejecting Jesus because they've examined him. He doesn't fit their mold. But he's been rejected by men, but he's choice and precious in the sight of God. Now, the some of the translations have it, he's chosen and precious. Another, chosen and honored by God. Another, he is precious to God who chose him. It's similar to what Peter had in mind. When he preached on the day of Pentecost, and he said, this man, referring to Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. This was the purpose of God, to bring him. And yet, he said, you nailed him to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. This one, who is precious in the sight of God, has been rejected by men. But God says, my son is highly valuable. He is God's gift to us that is beyond all expense and worth. And we're to feel the contrast on this, that men who rejected Jesus, who are but death, uh, but dust, rejecting him, and God the Father who created the world, calls him precious in his sight. Choice and precious. And so, We're told that through the means of spiritual growth, we keep coming to Him that God the Creator says is choice and precious, highly valuable in the sight of God. But what do we do so often? We complain, we murmur, we grumble, we wallow in despair and despondency. We get lazy, we get undisciplined. When God has given us the means to come to Him, Through the Lord Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain, who Revelation 5 says is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing, we come to him. You see, healthy spiritual growth leads us to see Jesus with new eyes and to taste him with fresh desire and to love him with renewed affections and to enjoy him with intense delight and joy. I love John Calvin's very simple comment on this passage he said he the person only makes progress in the gospel who in heart comes to god and that's what god has given us through this means of grace through the therefore's living in the therefore's putting to death sin and uh, and then Craving or longing for the word we will not come to him apart from the means that God has given us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ So you're going to be a squash You're going to be an oak Embrace the means that God has given For you to come to Christ, but notice the second thing that spiritual growth keeps uniting us in life and service the, the point that Peter's making in verse 5 is that you affect the spiritual growth of all of those around you. He's using plural language. So, if he's using plural language, he's talking about all of us. He's not singling us out and saying, you singly, singularly are a living stone. You, in a singular fashion, are being built up as a spiritual house for a royal priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. No. He says, you, plural. You, the church. And and so what he's doing, he's showing this corporate practice. He's moving from coming to Christ, and now Christ, in verse 5, is building up his church. And underlying this, Peter is correcting the spiritually lazy and undisciplined to let us know we're affecting everyone else because we're to be growing together as a body, as a spiritual house. And as we come to Christ, Christ shapes us corporately into a holy priesthood so that we together offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. Now, three things. First, Jesus keeps building his church. Isn't that what he said in Matthew 16? I will build my church. He didn't say, you guys are going to build my church. You apostles, you're going to build my church? No. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And so here's this lively, ongoing uh, action of Jesus in building us together. You also, verse 5, plural, as living stones, that that's very important. If He is the living stone, and now we are living stones, that means we have been affected by the death and resurrection of Christ. We are living stones because we have been brought into union with Him through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And this effect of the gospel upon us. And he says, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So who's doing the building? It's not us. As a matter of fact, the, the passive voice of the verb indicates it's the one who's choice and precious in the sight of God who's building the church. Jesus knows better than to turn that over to us. He, he's going to do that. And so he's using this construction terminology that we become the, 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 the building blocks, the timbers, the nails, the, uh, the, the hinges. And he begins to put us together so that we are a people that reflect him. Now, we can look at this and say, well, Jesus, this building is universal, invisible church. But Peter wasn't much of an invisible sort of guy, was he? I mean, Peter was a cornbread and peas sort of fellow. He was a brick and mortar sort of a guy. He wanted to see this real thing happen. And he was writing to people who were not living invisibly. He was writing to believers in modern day Turkey, ancient Asia Minor. They were suffering for their faith. They didn't want something invisible. They wanted something real. And so he says, You who are suffering, you're being built up as a spiritual house. As one writer said, suitable to the Spirit's indwelling. And that's really what Paul talks about in Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22, where he said the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, referring to the revelation of the gospel, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building, he's talking about the church, being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together as a dwelling of God in the spirit. The same Lord who saves us by his death and resurrection is presently working to build us and shape us into a suitable dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. We don't need a temple anymore. People that talk about rebuilding a temple that's God's purpose and plan. I'm going, where do you get that? No, he's building the church with all of our weakness. He's building us so the Holy Spirit might dwell together in us. And our spiritual growth is the means that Christ has given for this process of growing so that we are more and more Uh, uh, giving evidence of being inhabited by the Holy Spirit. And so he builds us, he says, as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. You remember there was one tribe, the the tribe of Levi, that were the priest. They were designated as priests. But he says, no longer. It's all of you. So I'm looking at a bunch of priests. Can you believe that? That's what God says in his word. So he calls us. Priest, and we're to enjoy that status and we're part of this new temple this holy priesthood and so we are a, a people indwelled by the spirit of god who by that indwelling that saving work of christ who is building us up as a bunch of living stones and he now says you're a bunch of priests and if we're a holy priesthood that means we belong to the lord it was interesting. I was reading this again, the book of Joshua this morning in my devotion time. And this reiterated all throughout the, the uh, other books in the, the law. And then in Joshua, he was parceling out the land. And he says, But the Levites were not given any land because their portion is the Lord. You know what he's saying? The Lord is our portion because we're his priests. That's why we come to him so that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Second, Jesus keeps enabling his church. As a holy priesthood, we're offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so in, in, in this ministry that he has given to us, we see that Jesus doesn't save a people, make them a spiritual house, entrust them with a holy priesthood so we can be mannequins in a store window. But the priesthood was active. There were no chairs. You didn't sit down. You were involved. You were praying. You were offering sacrifices. You were teaching the people. You were explaining the ways to God. You were meditating upon him. Centuries ago, that was for the elite few but now it's all of us, and you don't even have to go to seminary. And there's no special calling other than this call in the saving work of Christ, who gives us the power through the Spirit and strength through the gospel so that we might be a holy priesthood. So what do we do? Well, Romans 12, 1 and 2, we offer up ourselves as living sacrifices. Uh, Hebrews 13:15, we offer the sacrifice of our lips, giving praise to his name. We're thanking Him. We're praising Him. First Peter 2.9, we're proclaiming the excellencies of Him who's called us out of darkness into light. So we're, we're proclaiming that work of redemption that by His mercy we've experienced. 1 uh, Thessalonians 5.17, we're praying without ceasing. Uh, in Hebrews 13.16, we're offering sacrifices of doing good and sharing. So here's where our spiritual growth shapes our praise and our gratitude. It gives power to our gospel witness. It deepens our praying in the Holy Spirit. It intensifies our serving one another. And it brings us to the altar every day of being a living sacrifice. And we exercise the means of grace in spiritual growth. And in doing so, we come to Jesus and we find him sufficient. So give me another word. We find he is enough. As a matter of fact, we find he is more than enough. And he works through this devotedness to him to shape us as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood so that we might offer up spiritual sacrifices pleasing to God. That means there's no room for coasting. No room for laziness. No room for neglect. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, then grow through the means Christ has given so that he, by his mercy, might build you up together into a holy temple in the Lord. But notice the third thing, very simply. Jesus keeps welcoming his church. Now, why is that important? Because I think sometimes we we see our weaknesses, we see our failures, we see where we blow it. And, and we think, I'm just not giving God enough. Look, look what he says. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through all of your energy. Is that what he says? Acceptable to God because you never blow it. Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Amen. We started with Him. We come back to Him. We go to Him. We end in Him. Through life in Christ, through the way of the death and resurrection of Christ, through this intensified affection with Christ as we grow spiritually, we're offering up spiritual sacrifices of witness and praise and prayer and service in our lives with the assurance that God accepts it because he accepts Christ. And because God has accepted Christ and because he has brought us into union with himself, then all of our pitiful things he accepts. Again, Calvin said, there is never found in our sacrifices such purity that they are of themselves acceptable to God. Our self-denial is never entire and complete. Our prayers are never so sincere as they ought to be. We are never so zealous and so diligent in doing good that our works are imperfect and mingled with many vices. Oh, you're depressing us. Nevertheless, I love those neverthelesses, Christ procures favor for them. They are accepted not for the merit of their own excellency, but that through Christ. And so here we are, weak and needy, and yet seeking Jesus through living in the therefores and dying to sin and hungering for the word. Through this means of grace, we come to him and we find him to be more than wonderful, far beyond anything that we could have thought or imagined. And as we glory in him and enjoy him, he grows us corporately and he gives us the joy of being a church full of holy priests offering up spiritual sacrifices that God fully accepts, not because we do so well, but because we belong to Jesus. And since he treasures us, the Father accepts our meager offerings of praise and thanks and witness and prayers and service. And then what happens? We want to keep growing. We want to keep Coming to him. We want to keep living in this grace until we are mirroring Jesus. Or as Paul put it in Galatians 4 19, until Christ is formed in us. Have you tasted the kindness of the Lord? Do you really know him? He is the Savior ready to save. Look to him, turn to him in repentance and faith for the one crucified, bearing your sins, raised from the dead. Then, as a follower of Jesus, do you keep coming to Him through the means He has provided? Let us grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Join with me in prayer. Take a few moments.